if you're thinking too much about it, if you're applying too much intention into what you're writing, it's going to be dishonest. The only task you have to do is to get it out of your head, and then it decides. Welcome, everyone. My name is Kapil Guy, and you're tuned in to the Finding Perspective podcast, where we share stories and get into deep conversation with the intent of educating our listeners to new insight, new ways of thinking, and of course, new perspectives. So hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Finding Perspective podcast. Thank you so much to everyone that's been tuning in regularly. Um, Honestly, it means a lot to me. This community is building day in and day out, and it's just such a pleasure to have new people. So today we have a special guest with us. Her name is Nicole Bersafi. Nicole is an author, a freestyle poet, a writer, and a community and event coordinator. So welcome to the podcast, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I know that um, there's a few things I want to touch on because there's so much that you do. But I want to first, um, I, I first want to go into your writing because I know that's, um, there's a lot that you do there. So tell us about your, your, your history with writing, how you got into it, and uh, a lot of the projects that you've done. So I guess my history with writing kind of started as soon as I could write. Um, I've always come up with stories and I like just like entertaining people that way. Um, I've also never been good at not talking. So I think that kind of comes with, with the territory. So I've always been a writer. Um, I've written poetry and songs since I was a kid. I remember just annoying the crap out of my friends when I was younger on the playground. I'd be like, guys, listen to this new song. And it would be about like the blues clues. And they'd be like, hey, Nicole, that's enough. I want to go play like uh, witches in whatever the game was that we'd be playing. Right. Yeah. And then slowly that just developed. I went to school for it for a little while. I realized um, I didn't like being instructed writing and then left that and fell back in love with it. Here we are. What is instructed writing? I think it's, um, it's structure. So that's great if you seek to become a writer in more of like a confined professional setting because, you know, it's like anything you learn the rules to break them. Uh, I have friends that are, you know, journalists and they write, they're, or they're copywriters or anything like that. So I think instructed writing is very much um, like a specific genre or a specific style. So like essay formatted writing or like writing for journalism, right. like that kind of thing. Yeah. Do you think that takes away the creativity from the actual writer? I used to. I used to think it takes away the creativity until I started writing more as in, like as a in a professional setting. Yeah. And I realized my technical skills weren't as sharpened mm-hmm. as I'd say like my peers and my coworkers strictly because I was so focused on simply creating and being creative and trying to like navigate outside the box. Um, that when the time came to write like a paid article for something, mm-hmm. I, I was having such a hard time because I was writing these pieces as though they were poems, right? I was using a lot of imagery, which is yeah. necessary, but it was strictly that. Like I wasn't able to like bend the rules or use them to my advantage to be creative. So I find you really do need to have both. 
poetry has, has been a big part of yourself, has been a big part of you. Um, you've been doing this for many years and you said you yeah. actually were incorporating this into to your work and yeah. where your work was actually sounding very poetic. Um, so can you tell us about um, your work with for poetry, especially, especially freestyle poetry? Mm -hmm. What is that? So I am a typist. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know what that is, um, I write on a typewriter. Uh, yes, it is very old. It is an antique. <laughs> um, yes, they do still make them, although not the same, but uh, I write freestyle poetry on my typewriter. I started off by getting this typewriter on a local trading app. And I don't know, I was fixing it up. And a lot of my friends are cipher artists, you know, and I've always been part of a, a very creative community and I've always been a writer. And then suddenly, you know, I'd have my friends like give me a word while I was fiddling around on this machine. Um, and I'd just write something to it or write something about it. And then, yeah, I don't know, it, it was a really cool outlet. And then I started taking the typewriter outside of my house. And then I began just setting up like a table on like a corner of a park or like kind of anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and then I would ask strangers for one word and then they would give me that word and I'd write a piece of poetry about that word on the spot. That's really cool. I mean, we've, we've heard of freestyle in, in, in hip hop and, and right in, uh, in rapping, but I never heard about it in poetry. That's, that's mm -hmm. really cool. So basically, um, you know, you can take a word and create a full length poem off of it. How many poems have you written? Oh God. <laughs> like today? No, if you could give a number to it, like since you started doing freestyle poetry. Oh gosh. I don't know. Um, I can tell you that I've set up my typewriter like more than three times this week, which is actually a lot more than I normally do. Let's say on average, I set it up two to three times a week. Last night I wrote about 20 poems. Oh, wow. So, I mean, I'm a writer. I can't do math, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Quite a lot. Some in the thousands we could say. I, may, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Definitely a couple hundreds. In the yeah. last one year alone, I've written, uh, I don't know, definitely uh, ballparking, maybe like three to 400 poems in the mm, last year. Wow, wow. When inspiration, I mean, inspiration can hit you at any time. Mm -hmm. If you're ever on the bus and like you just have inspiration, but you don't have your typewriter in front of you. Mm -hmm. So will you like pull out your phone or a notepad? Or what are you going to do? My phone. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdly enough. You know, it's interesting. I, I was a poet first. Maybe that's not the right word. I think all of my inspirations are literary writing that yep. are just very poetic. It's not strictly poetry. And so I always found that like when I'd be going to and from, um, I'd want to just jot down my ideas. Right. And the mechanical aspect of using your phone and just using notepad, it almost felt like I could be more honest because I know that like, oh, I could just delete this entire thing with one, with one button. Right. Like it's not a physical thing. And it made the free flowing thoughts a lot easier. When I was younger, it was like I had an idea and I had to I had to write that down. And those were really, really elaborate like word schemes. So it kind of just depends. If I'm just having a thought, my phone, definitely. Yeah. Um, if I feel like having a conversation with myself and then I'll end up kind of translating that into written poetry, I'll just like open up yeah. the mic, the what's it called the recording app on my phone and pretend like I'm on the phone with somebody so yeah, that I yeah. don't look I do the same thing. Crazy. <laughs> I do the same thing. Yeah, uh, I mean, because that's that's how inspiration hits. I mean, it doesn't hit you. You can't say, okay, from on Wednesday from five to seven, I'm going to block off that time and I'm going to yeah. write these. It might not hit you. It might yeah. hit you when you're about to go to bed or that's just how it works. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, you have, you, there's, there's so much that you do with writing. 
how do you dictate whether this will, you know, whatever, whatever I'm writing, how do you dictate whether this will go into a poem, whether this will go into a future book that I'm writing? Mm-hmm. But we, yeah, we have always have ideas, but sometimes for me personally, I, I, I struggle with dictating where to put it. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, um, how do you make that decision? I think it places itself. I think if you can't decide where something needs to go, you just need to first just get it out of your head, right? And like let it let it sit wherever it is that you wherever it is that you are like outputting that. If you have an idea for a story or if it's a poem or if it's like a couple of verses or like a song, let's say, but you don't know what the song is going to be, you don't know how it's gonna sound. Um, just write it down first. If you can't figure out what it is, just leave it. Yep. Because it will come back. I find anytime I'm forcing something, especially when I'm typing, if I'm typing out a poem, I, I see people's eyes just like kind of like widen or like get really shocked or nervous. So if I'm in the middle of writing a poem for them and then I'll just like take the paper out of the machine, rip off half of the poem and then like keep writing or like just like crumple up two sheets in a row and then start again. And it's like, if you're thinking too much about it, if you're applying too much intention into what your writing is going right. to be, it's going to be dishonest. So like the only task you have to do is to get it out of your head. Um, and then it decides. Yeah, no, that, that, that's definitely something that I'm currently, uh, you know, struggling with. I mean, in the past year, I've, ever since, you know, I started my podcast and, you know, all my other ventures, but I've just been, you know, putting myself into the arts and just yeah. going to, you know, see the- yeah, theater shows, comedy, concerts, love comedy, any, anything and everything. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just like, and I, it's crazy because whenever I see a story and like my mind is thinking, how can we make this story, you know, <laughs> so big? How can we turn this into the next thing? Should this be a song? Should this be a movie? Should this be a play? Like my mind is just always going like that. Um, I mean, it's good in some, in, in most ways, oh, yeah. but the other way, like you said, it perhaps, it could, I don't know if dishonest is the word, but it could come across as just very mechanical. Mechanical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It could be the most honest, simple thing. And, and you know what I realized? That's always what happens. It's almost, have you ever noticed when you get into an argument with somebody or when you have a disagreement or even if you are agreeing on something? Yeah. I don't argue with people. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't agree with that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. If ever you're having a conversation with somebody and let's say this is something you've thought about many times over. It's like, I don't know, you have an opinion about something or you notice something one day when you walk down the street, anything at all. As soon as you get emotionally like invested in like proving it as a real tangible thing, you're kind of all over the place. Or at least I am. I always end up all over the place and I miss the point of what I'm trying to say. Read the power of now. The power of now. And then I'll walk away from it. A friend of mine is actually reading that book and he keeps trying to get me to read it. Yeah, that that, that book explains that pretty well. What exactly you're saying, yeah. Yeah, I've always explained that as uh, like letting the foam pour over. Mm -hmm. So The foam pour over? Yeah, you know when you, okay, uh, you know, whether or not you drink beer, um, it happens with like, you know, a soda as well. You know, if you pour a soda too quickly, you're at the wrong angle. Yeah. uh, The fizz will just come right over the top and then you're just kind of stuck standing there and the foam's just pouring over the top. and you can't really do anything about it. You just have to sit there or stand there and yeah. just kind of wait. It's uncomfortable. You don't know what to do with your hands. You feel like everyone can see, but there's nothing you can do in that like 10 second frame. You just have to let the foam pour over. And so I think that happens a lot when we get really excited about something or we dive into something too fast. And then suddenly, you know, it's just, it's just, everything's just 
coming out like word vomit or like, yes. you know, even if it's yeah. a good thing, if you're excited about something and then you maybe take it a little too, too far, you're like, yeah, let's do it. Da, 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 da. Right. And then, yeah, you just kind of have to let the foam pour over. Oh, I like that. I like that analogy. I've never heard that before. Mm. So thank you for sharing with us. So you've been writing your poems for a while. Do you perform these poems live as well? I do. <laughs> I, I do and I don't. I do because I do like to workshop my pieces, especially the ones that end up going into some projects. Um, or if I'm out like supporting friends in the scene uh, at like a, a show or a venue, but I find that a lot of my poetry, uh, especially like I find I go through phases with my writing. So like right now I'm really, really focused on um, the typing. Yeah. And it's such a specifically personal thing to me and whoever it is that's buying the poem that I often don't even know. I often don't even know where they end up or mm. like what happens with them, but I'm writing so many of them and I want to stay sincere to it that I, I've like limited myself to strictly writing them and then having that experience with someone. And then if they want to go and share it, then they can do that. Right. I used to do more spoken word things, um, more events. I'd like to get back into it. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely like to get back into it, but for now, um, for now it's just me and me and my machine and whoever is sharing that time with me. So I saw a video of you. Um, and so you have a residency at, 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 a, at a local bar in Toronto where you're, where you're there con like um, regularly and you're typing yeah. as the night's going on. Yeah. So is it that you're typing, like people will come up to you, give you words and, um, and you type a poem for them? Or are you like typing about the night and curating the night? Like what, take us through the process of how that works. Yeah. So I, I type at the Poetry Jazz Cafe. Um, it's the only one of its kind, really, uh, the way that it's set up. It's in Kensington Market. So that's how it started. Mm -hmm. I set up my typewriter at the end of the bar. Um, the acts that come on every night are like, they're, they're super... One, most of the time, they're just insanely sweet artists. Um, and so we kind of have this interplay. Every once in a while, they'll ask me to come up um, and like read something to the, to the room. But usually, it's just me sitting at the corner of the bar... The typewriter that'll set up my paper, and then people will come up to me, uh, give me a word, and then I will write a poem about that. And then in between the times that someone will come up to me, I don't know, I find I tend to just like it's almost like a, a switch will flip mm -hmm. and I'll zone out into the music. Yeah. And then I'll just start writing to right. whatever it is I'm seeing, or I'll see something, or I'll be eavesdropping on someone's conversations. And then, I don't know, yeah. And then I'm writing. Those ones are for me. Those ones I keep for myself. You keep for yourself. Yeah. Wonderful. I'm actually collecting them. You're collecting them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. what's going to happen with the collection? Well, so I've been collecting all of the writings that I do in between um, yeah. being patroned. And I've been putting them into a book mm. that's going to be coming out, I think, in the fall. We'll talk about that. In we'll a talk bit. about we'll that. Talk about yeah, it yeah. We'll talk about it because I know the, the books, I want to get to that, leave like its own section for that. But I want to go back in time. So I want to talk Let's about your uh, your family life growing up, uh, where you grew up in, yeah. the culture you grew up in. Yeah. So I am, I'm Lebanese. I'm Lebanese-Canadian. My parents, um, my parents grew up in... Zahle in Lebanon, which is like the Bekaa Valley. Uh, I go back home often. Um, I miss it like all the time. Yeah, so I grew up really, really immersed within the Lebanese culture and very much active and aware of the diaspora. And so I've always had this like dual identity in that way. Um, I grew up 
I was born in Scarborough. Hey, shout out Scarborough. East of um, Toronto. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was born in Scarborough. My family moved to Markham when I was about like six or seven, which is a suburb in the GTA. Yep. Honestly, it was the sweetest. It was the sweetest upbringing. It like it was kind of like a movie. All, there was just a ton of kids on our street. And we all used to play together and like all the summers, you know, those memes that you see where there's just like eight bikes stacked yeah, on yeah, a lawn. Yeah, like yeah. that was the kind of, right. that's like how I grew up. It was really nice. And then I moved to Toronto when I was about 18. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so growing up in, in, in a Lebanese, in a Lebanese household, um, was, was poetry in the arts? Was it, was it, um, encouraged? Was it something that you had taken part of at a younger age? Um, it was encouraged. Um, it's definitely something that we value in our culture. The arts is something that we, you know, we're really, really proud of what's come from our country and our culture. It's a really ancient culture. So obviously, um, I don't know. Yeah, we take pride in that, but it's interesting. We talked about this uh, last week, but so I found there was always, it was like within the context of me doing art, I was always supported to just a specific limit. So growing up, I was put in like dance and acting um, and piano classes. And I would write all these pieces. And my dad always encouraged me to like write them down, put them in a book. Like my parents were very avid. Like they would push me to to actually physically manifest the things that I was doing. Um, And then there was like a cutoff. So like I would do acting and then the acting school shut down and then I wanted to go to like a theater school and they were like, well, no, that's too far. Um, same thing with like piano, you know, I was like, oh, I want to go do music. They're like, well, you did it till grade eight. Like <laughs> yeah. now you can teach it, you know, yeah. look at that. It's, it's, you get to do it every day and it's feasible. I think, yeah, I think within the Lebanese culture and I think within a lot of it, just immigrant culture period, I don't want to just single out mine. I think my parents are immigrants. They did everything they could. God bless them. Like they're really wonderful parents. Um, but there is something to like e- the Eastern mentality, which is valuing like uh, having like a multifaceted child who's also successful in a really singular way. If that mm. makes sense. It's like, go be a doctor, uh, but then also like know how to woodwork and yeah. cook and clean yeah. and like play the flute. You know, it's it's a very specific kind of prestige almost. Right. I actually think Eastern culture coined um, the Renaissance, like the whole term of being like a Renaissance person before it, that was a real thing. And you see that, you see that when you're growing up with really any kind of culture, I find like immigrant parents are really like happy to be in a place where they can let their kids, or they have the opportunity for their kids to go play soccer and like and grow and do the things they never could. Mm-hmm. And then when, you know, you got older, it was like, okay, that's childhood. Now it's time to be an adult. Yeah. And so I was always supported. It was always something that was very much pushed until I got older. And then it was like, okay, time to buckle down university. Then you're going to get a job. And then there's certain steps that we go through because now this is part of our culture. Um, interestingly enough, my uncle is uh, is an actor and a, a voice actor and he's a writer. Back home in Lebanon? Back home in Lebanon, yeah. yeah. And I remember growing up knowing of my uncle, but it took, it took him some time to really like... Um, you know, establish himself in the arts as, as anywhere, anyone, anywhere in the world. Like even in Toronto, people are, you know, having a hard time pushing their work and they're committed. So you don't see the fruit of your labor immediately. So now imagine that in 
the Middle East. Mm -hmm. You know, it is a lot more difficult to like have like a, to have like viable success doing Mm -hmm. something that's artistic. And he became like a professor for a little while. He was in like a soap opera. And I just remember growing up where I would always have kind of him in the back of my mind where I would hear about how it's really hard to work and be an artist. And then I'd go, well, what about Rebia? Who's like his name? I was like, well, he's an, he's an actor and he's a, he's a performer and he's a writer. He's a creative. <laughs> what, what did they say? Well, when I was younger, it was, yeah, sure. But he has to work really, really hard yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you want? Like, is that what you want? You know, yeah. like, and then there's also the, like, you know, the traditionality of like, the male-female diet economy mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, but he's not in a rush to like have to like do like have something done, you know, like when right. you want to like settle down and have a family, like men don't really have that clock or whatever. Mm-hmm. And family is huge in my culture. So for a woman, it wasn't like an oppressive thing. It was more of like a, like, let's help you get as comfortable as possible financially so that you could, you know, get married, have kids and then do whatever you want. Right. Um, I mean, I've tried so many different things. When it comes to songwriting, rapping, um, being in radio, journalism, yeah, you know, all the, even the things that I'm doing right now, public ah, speaking. So You're doing great. Oh, no, <laughs> you're doing you. great. Kapil. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Funny enough, mm-hmm. I was having a conversation with somebody about this a week ago. And that's why this show is called Finding Perspective. It's all about how you see things, of course. Mm. So I was tell, talking to them about this exact same thing. And this person says to me, he's like, well, you don't commit to anything. You just do one thing and then you do another and you do another and you don't commit yeah, to anything. I get that. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's just one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is, well, I have this energy. I'm going to put into this thing. Mm -hmm. Then it opens up another door and I'm like, well, let me do that thing now. And then when you look back, you've done so many different things and you've attacked so many different parts of the palette. Yeah. So I'm just like, well, I mean, it kind of, it, it makes you more open-minded because it opens your mind up to so many new things. Absolutely. And it opens yourself up to like possible ways that you can grow that you otherwise would never. Of course. No, we're, we're even like avenues you could take. Like you learn about yourself when you put yourself in situations where you're like, oh, I like this. Oh, I don't like this. Oh, I'm bad at this. And I don't like that I'm bad at this. Why don't, why does this make me uncomfortable? It could be a subject you're not even interested in, you know? And like suddenly you're facing um, kind of hardship to like, I don't know, fulfill a task or like, you know, learn a new thing or learn a new riff. And you're like, I don't even like this song. Why do I care so much? And then that's just it. You're opening up avenues within yourself that like, you right. know, you kind of have to, you will address in your life. Um, but when you let yourself be open to a lot of different experiences, that'll happen, I think, just much faster. I think my favorite thing is watching two sides of a coin in terms of like perspective, culture, um, ideology, and age, just like just sharing and a laugh. Mm. Like there's nothing that really brings people together. And I've, that's something that I've learned. Have you thought about doing comedy? I have many times. Yeah. I think I'm hilarious. <laughs> I think you should try it. I would, you know what? I Comedy is one of those things. It's kind of like, I've said this many times. It's, it's for me, comedy and rap are two things that I would love to do. Mm, it's all the same thing. Comedy, spoken word, rap. Interestingly enough. Thing. Yeah. It's those two, thing. especially different genres. Those two worlds, yeah. They collide. They, they like come together really easily. Yeah. I think it's like all rappers want to be comics and all comics want to be rappers. And Nicole wants to be both, but (laughs) she won't do it. I just, I have too much respect for the craft to approach it like it's something that anybody could just do, you know? 
to challenge that, I don't think there's anything wrong with you expressing your artistic freedom. Sure. But I could be funny anywhere. Yeah, true. <laughs> you know? True, true. I think also, I think the the stage of doing comedy, I think it's a really sacred place. Um, and you really should have something to say. Mm. You know what I mean? And if it's not, it doesn't have to be like an honest story or your life story or whatever. I think it's just if what you have to say is like, oh, this was funny. Like, like how silly this is or yourself mm. or you're working through something. I think you should show up with something meaningful. You know what I mean? I think, I think a lot of people, to be honest, make that mistake because they think they don't have something to say. Yeah. Like, especially right now with public speaking and I'm always going to events and I'm always telling people like, share your story. Like, I have nothing mm -hmm. to say. To be honest, for me, like I always felt like there was something inside me I needed to let it out. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't really know what that vision was. I didn't know what that direction was. I just knew that there's something I have to say and I'm going to go mm -hmm. say it. Yeah. And then as I started saying it and then things started to come together after. Mm -hmm. So like, it's just the same, it's the same concept as if you wait till you're ready, you'll never be ready. Yeah. I feel the same way. It's like, if you wait till you have something to say, you'll mm -hmm. never have something to say. See, and the thing is for me, I, I'm not missing that kind of platform. Like with what I do, I'm talking to people all the time and I don't know. Yes, it would be really, really nice to, oh, okay, fuck it. I'll just say it. I'll probably end up trying comedy. I cave. I know that I'm going to end up trying it. Do it. At some point, because I really love comedy um, and I love people and I think it's funny to watch the world and like make fun of things. Yeah. You know, I think it's I fun think to like, it. I think it's fun to find this, like pick something out or like a story or a subject matter and like just sideball the hell out of it by just finding the one little thing that's really funny. Yeah, yeah. And tell me about a lot of the arts that 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 uh that, that came out of Lebanon, like so a lot of the the films, the music. Oh, wonderful! Sabah is Lebanese. She is one of our. She's like the OG. Oh man, I don't even want to say Adele. Like, I could, I could, if I could. Explain Sabah in terms of Lebanese and like Middle Eastern and Arab um, music. It's kind of like the Mama Cass, not mm. in terms of the style or the genre, but like where she stands in terms of being like a pillar for the first like first like woman like doing it, making music that's that people loved. Um, Nancy Ajram is an artist that I really really like from Lebanon. Uh, she's a pop artist, so like if you were to listen to, I think she's the only artist that makes pop music that I listen to on my phone all the time. You know, like I don't listen to English pop music, but I'm here for Nancy Ashton. And there's a whole bunch of them. Um, one of my biggest inspirations, I'd say in my writing, in my art, in my perspective specifically, and like through a lot of my life, uh, has been Khalil Gibran. He is an author. He is a painter. He, um, he's a visual artist. He's a philosopher. He wrote the book, uh, The Prophet which is like one of the greatest pieces of literature, I think, but also like objectively, I'm just going to say it. The internet thinks so too. The world agrees. The Prophet by Khalil Gibran is just this like pillar of one, Lebanese art, but two, um, growth. You know, it's about this prophet who many people say is Gibran. Um, and he spends this time in this small village. Um, I think his name is Al Mustafa in the book. I might be I might be wrong about that. I haven't read it in like a year, but is his he is the prophet. That's how they address him. And this this group of people, this whole town, is seeing him off because he's done doing what he needs to do. He's done his purpose in this place. 
and it takes place in Lebanon. And I like, I know those mountaintops in the book they're described and they come to him to say goodbye and there's seafarers and there's merchants and there's young people. And they start asking him questions like, prophet, tell us of, tell us of like, of love and of marriage and of, of earning money and of, of pain and of sleep, you know, tell us of all these things. And he, and he speaks to this crowd with this like honesty that I think can only come from a, a love that is strictly nurturing you know, it, anyways, Gibran, Gibran is one of my favorite authors of, he is my favorite author of all time. He's a poet outside of the confines of being a poet. It's a story and it's told poetically. Mm-hmm. He uses imagery. He shifts your perspective. Like he'll give you an analogy about what it means to earn money by explaining the way that like the roots of, of a tree, um, need to bend in different directions. Mm. They're constricting, but that is the only way that they'll grow or how like grapevines need to spread out in order for fruit to even be be born. And sometimes it doesn't work because of sunlight. Like sometimes things are out of your control and he uses this imagery and just this like almost childlike honesty to explain his opinions and his perspectives so that you are taken to the most bare like the most like bare bottom, like naked version of meaning something. Um, and we love him in Lebanon. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, no, I'll have to check out all this do. stuff. Definitely I'm asking do. for my own, uh, <laughs> so I can yeah. add some more stuff to my catalog. I actually went to his, um, they turned, they had, they have like a museum for him um, back home. Yep. Um, I think it was his house or something, but they pretty much like remade his apartment he remade his books. He moved to New York um, in his late 20s or 30s. I think in his 30s. Um, and this was, oh, this was a long time ago. Um, so he moved to New York. So, hey, shout out immigrants from Lebanon. But he moved to New York. And um, I think that's when he could finally like really like branch out and kind of experiment with the first few like non- culturally specific ideas. Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he was actually a lot of the beat poets. Um, so like Allen Ginsberg, Jack Kerouac, um, William S. Burroughs, like a lot of those writers read Gibran. He was very counterculture, which now when you read it is entirely our culture. Like I'm talking about peace and like love and opening yourself up and like working hard, like certain subject matters, even in terms of talking about mental health, he has a book called Broken Wings and it's about, I, like, I think it's autobiographical. It might not be, but it's about this young boy who like experiences like nothingness and then he falls in love and then this takes him, it like totally throws him like, it's, it's a total curveball. And then it's talking about like the times that he spends in between the few things that make him happy. And so he really touches on subjects that at the time were incredibly taboo, especially for a man. I think there's this idea of like, be a man, suck it up. Um, And he didn't care. So he was one of the first like counterculture Mm. writers and like poets. Um, Yeah, a lot of the beat movement um, really like respected and read his work and like trailblazed for him in a way after he passed away. Yeah, we love him. And I went and I saw, I feel so, I'm so, I feel so grateful for this, but I I went to his museum and I got to look at his library and like 
it's cool seeing some of the books that I have read being in there and just feeling this like connectedness to them, but also connected in a way where it's like, I don't know. It's like when you have a dual identity, Yeah, seeing that the one person that you've looked up to your whole life shares a common like mm. a commonality to you. Yeah. It's really, no, that's really, that special. sounds really, really interesting. And I, I definitely need to put yeah, some books on yeah. the list. I have a whole bunch of them. You could borrow some. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Appreciate that. Um, so speaking of books, you actually have written your own book. Yes, I have. Um, I wrote a book. It's called The After Molly Melancholy. Uh, it's a collection of poetry. I wrote it a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, it's um, it's not a narrative story. Like there's not, it's a collection of poetry, right? So it's not about one thing, but it's it's linear in the way that it it makes, it pretty much expresses the cycle of going through uh, an episode in mental health. So like each poem is like an emotion or a state of mind and it goes through what it like physically feels like to go through like depression where it's like one day you're fine. The next day you're like still kind of fine. Um, the next day, you know, you're a little pessimistic and you know, like something is kind of annoying you and then you go, go through that. Then you meet somebody and all of a sudden like you're in this state where you just like need something one stable too that makes you feel happy. And like, you just like throw yourself into like another person and then obviously, because it's not for the right intentions, that ends immediately. You fall way, 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 way lower and it's just this cycle. And then wow. eventually it comes, it like makes the cycle where like you kind of fall, you go through the up, the down, the rockiness, and then you kind of come back to being like, oh, I'm okay. Like I'm okay again. I definitely need to read this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we all do, actually. This sounds like uh, something we all go through, so. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, uh, it was really interesting writing that book. Um, I wrote it while I was uh, on the island, Toronto Island. There's a um, arts residency called Artscape, Gibraltar Point. And that was, it was such a uh, beautiful time. It was the middle of winter. I could just sit there and like feel all the things and, and um, I don't know, laugh at absolutely nothing, but no one was around to think I was crazy about it. <laughs> um, yeah. So the book is called The After Molly Melancholy. Um, I wrote it because I, I really needed to get it out of my system, but also it was one of the first times I could actually put my finger on the experience of having depression and having um, like manic phases. And we talk about mental health and we're all, we always go towards depression and anxiety, but it's like, those aren't really the things that apply to a lot of people that I know that struggle with mental health. A lot of it's like feeling physically tired when you wake up and like getting paranoid about things and like thinking that people don't like you. It's as simple as like walking into a space and feeling like your own friends, they like, they, they don't like you. And so it's, it really, it touches the, the actual experience feelings. Um, not just being sad. Cause that's not, that's a cop out. Right. Yeah. And then relearning like right. to, to feel okay. Yeah. I definitely need to read this like ASAP. Um, well, that sounds, <laughs> that sounds really interesting. Yeah. Um, and you have another book on the way. Um, I do. Yeah. The book of, um, kind of the scrap pieces as well as a few other, um, uh, poems that I've written. That is very Toronto centric. That one's oh. a very like Toronto centric, uh, book. It's very much just like, it's almost like, a you can call it a journal, but it's not a journal. It's like poetry and then, and like prose and then just like ideas that I've had or like 
bits of conversations that I've heard on the subway or something that I found really funny, things like that. It's called crap content. Crap content? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I think it's it's really funny. I think if you if you want to have a good laugh, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's just it's fickle, and it's my experiences just being in Toronto. No, I, I'm. Yeah. I'm <laughs> yeah. That sounds like sounds. That sounds like another thing I, I would definitely like to read. Mm-hmm. Um, no, this is this is great. Mm-hmm. And I'm. By the way, after Molly Melancholy is going to be on Amazon by the time this comes out, so it's on Amazon and Kindle. Okay. Um, I'm working on getting um, some publishing deals and stuff, but you know, as a writer, it's well, there's a lot of details. That I have to go into that. Um, I make them to order. You guys are welcome to hit me up. If you would like a copy of the book, I make them to order. So you just call my Instagram, send me a message, and then I will have a copy ready for you. Or Amazon and Kindle. The After Molly Melancholy. After Molly Melancholy, of course. Cool. Um, so what's really cool is that uh, a few months ago, I had met you at an event. And um, you, I'd given you a word. Mm. And you wrote an entire poem about it. And this was mm. when I was just about to launch my podcast, this podcast, Finding Perspective. So the word I gave you was perspective. Mm. And okay. actually, I brought that <laughs> I brought that poem with me today. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I brought it. You didn't even fold it. Wow. So I I'm hoping that. you can share that poem with us right now. You want me to read this? Yes, okay. please. Sure. Poem is, sorry, the poem is called Perspective. Okay, yeah, this is Perspective. I wrote it at um, it was the Dead Poet event. Yeah. Okay, so it goes. I flipped a coin, asked the wind to decide which fate to take my travel. I shift to beg the stance of dread, vulgar noise that places, pleads for bed. When ridden and stricken, insomnia falls dead. I flipped a coin, not knowing the other side was decided when my mind placed my comfort to rest. Amazing. So that's perspective. That's what perspective. Uh, that's for you. That's your perspective. Yeah, I think for this one. Um, I think for this one, it's just like there's always going to be. There's always going to be a way of saying something. Sometimes it sounds a little darker. People really, people feel it's. I like to play on using words that maybe make people a little uncomfortable, in the context that's actually like happy. Does that make sense? Um, just because there's always a duality in things, you know? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Insomnia falling dead. Uh, it pretty much just means you're, you're, you can go to sleep, right? Like, it's, it's as simple as, as that. It's just taking, I don't know, taking, taking both sides of the coin as meaning the coin exists. So there's always going to be a way for it to fall differently. And like, it is the same coin. You just have to like, like the choice of actually flipping a mm-hmm. coin. That's, that's the intention you need. And then you can learn from that point on wherever it falls, um, what that'll look like. And sometimes it's different. Sometimes it's the same thing four times in a row. You never know. Right. Well, that's all about finding perspective. That's what it's all about. That's yeah. what we do here, right? Yeah. That's what we do. Well, I mean, I want to thank you because we went over so much today. Um, mm. And I'm, I'm really excited for you. I'm excited for all your uh, future projects and yeah. excited to to keep up to date with what's going on with you. Um, for well, anyone that's listening, you. where can they find you on social media? Ah, uh, You can find me at I am typist. So it's I dot am 
A-M, typist on Instagram. Uh, you can find me on my Facebook page, which is Nicole Brasafi, or at iamtypist.com. Um, there you can find my services. So if you have an event or a showcase or a wedding uh, and you'd like someone to be making custom poems for you, um, my services and rights are there. Um, you can also, there are links to the book. You can get them ordered. Uh, you can also just say hi to me. <laughs> um, yeah, if, you, if you've ever picked up a poem, just you know, hit me up, say hi. I love talking to people. Cool. Mm. Thank you, Nicole. And it was okay. amazing having you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, honestly. I, I'm not going to lie. I was really nervous before I came. So I was like, how am I going to talk for an hour straight? And then my mom's like, Nicole, you're, you and not talking is, I think, <laughs> something you should worry about a little bit more. So thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. There's nothing quite like feeling uh, heard, which you do really well. I appreciate that. And for this platform. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. No, no problem. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of the Finding Perspective podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode and learned something new, please hit subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and family. To stay up to date with all things Finding Perspective, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Finding Perspective Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at underscore Kapil Guy. Hope you had a great week. Until next time.